You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose spoke with Andreas Scharenbeck, the CEO of Uniper SE, as they discuss decarbonization, renewables, and the future of fossil fuels. Andreas, thank you for joining me in this conversation. Um, let's just start with where we are globally um, with COVID. Uh, I think, I assume you're based in Germany, are you, yourself? Yeah, um, I am. What, what's been the situation there, just on a sort of personal note, I hope everyone in your family is well and, and everything is good, but how has it been sort of taken by the society in general there in Germany? But I think it's a, an extraordinary situation. Nobody have forecasted that or seen that. And such a lockdown of uh, social life uh, is definitely a thing never was undertaken before. So my I am at home, uh, as you can, can see. Uh, my family is safe. Uh, uh, my son uh, was at homeschooling until last week. So he was using Teams uh, or Zoom in his office and yeah. I was using it in mine. Um, Parts of my families are in Madrid, which is a little bit more different view. Uh, Parts of the family are in Berlin and Germany. But from a private uh, point of view, everything is fine. On a professional one, it was definitely a different undertaking. Take me through that, because obviously, you know, you plan for different things as a, as a CEO. I, I can't believe you would have planned for this. And if you did, that, that would be amazing. But when this started to manifest back in, you know, December in Wuhan, and then it started to become growing in, 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 in Europe. What was your initial thoughts? Did you realize this could be a serious issue for your business? Well, uh, I have to say I got concerned as I understand, uh, understood what the Chinese were doing, closing down uh, the whole city or the whole regions. Uh, that was some, something where I said, look, that could be more serious than we all thought. Uh, it really hit uh, us as a company as we've seen the first uh, yeah, actions taken by countries as Italy and, and Spain was hit very badly. Uh, I think we, we were lucky in Germany that we were a little bit behind the curve. So you could see yeah. what was happening in China, what was happening there, uh, in Italy and Spain. And uh, probably we did the right things uh, as a society here. But actually, Uniper was pretty early in, in doing uh, doing some some cases and actions. So we... We were, I think, nearly two weeks before the close down was coming uh, as an order. We said already, look, everybody who can stay home, can stay home. We don't need a permission from your boss. Do that. Uh, one week later, we said, look, now we're doing it uh, the other way around. Only if your supervisor is telling you, you have to come to the office. You come to the office. Otherwise, you're staying home. Uh, we took uh, the precautions with our assets. So the generation units, so we canceled all visitor trips and, and uh, exhibitions or whatever. We make sure that the shifts having hand over without physical contact, um, making sure that we have disinfection uh, stuff there. So I think it's worked so far very well. We have at, at all at status of today, three corona positive cases for all 12,000 people. And one of uh, one of them is counting. He was on vacation in Italy and got locked, locked down there, so he was never yeah. in the offices. So from mm-hmm. that point of view, we shielded our trading floor, we shielded our assets as much as we can do. Uh, actually, our experience with using Zoom or Teams or whatever uh, is, is a great one. It is working much much better than anticipated. Uh, I think we are lucky that we have this IT that we can operate. 
but uh, it is it is physical uh, and emotional stress on our employees, uh, of course. Yeah, I mean, you have a slight difference with other CEOs, which is you you own big assets and they're critical for power. So, how do you ensure you keep those assets running? Have you gone to skeleton staffing? Have you used automation, or or do you have to have staff there and and, and you're just having to make sure they're they're protected. Well, we have, of course, uh, very educated staff there, and uh, they are they're prepared for a lot of uh, different situations. Uh, probably not uh, a typical one like that because nobody really has planned for that. But uh, the big bigger difference in the planning scenarios is not what is hitting you, uh, actually how you prepare for that. It could be a natural disaster like a big storm or whatever. You have to make sure that the asset is running. This one has a different angle on that. It means uh, make sure that you don't have too many social contacts. That's in fact, uh, handover between shifts is different because you try to uh, avoid to have uh, interaction stuff between two shifts because if somebody is getting this, uh, the virus, then of course probably have to take two shifts out, uh, limit interactions with suppliers, uh, cutting down on maintenance, what is not really essential at the moment, just to make sure that the people can work. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, our assets are not really people heavy. Uh, normal gas CCGT is probably 40 people or 50 people at all. That's easy, uh, easier to control. Uh, Lignite, that is much more people, uh, but we have not so many of those. Mm -hmm. And of course, what is helping that our assets normally on, on locations where the network criticality is uh, decisive, but not in the main cities. You don't have a power plant in the middle of Munich or in Berlin. You're a little bit outside of a smaller community where people are a little bit more dispersed. Uh, that makes it a little bit easier. Before we leave uh, COVID, coronavirus, as a CEO, is this the most extraordinary challenge you face? I think the most extraordinary challenge is always the challenge you are in at the moment because you never know what is coming. Good answer. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a marathon. Every marathon is the most difficult one that you have in the head of you. Uh, yeah. Looking backwards, you even know what you have done right or wrong, but uh, you know we have to deal with the situation now, and this is the most complicated one it's for the time being. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's park that. Let's talk about Uniper now. Many people will probably know that Uniper has really spun out of Eon, uh, and it was. Is it fair to say it was really the sort of generation assets that Eon didn't want to have anymore, or, or wanting to to unload because it was changing its direction and and that's formed. Is it fair? I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you really a sort of um, fossil fuel generation asset company? Is that what you would say you are? Yeah, actually, it's, it's fair to say, and it's uh, uh, no no strange thing in that. As Eon uh, was putting their strategy on in a new spin, they they decided to uh, spin off all the carbon heavy assets, which they think uh, or they thought have no future. Uh, to the outside and formed Uniper. So the only things they couldn't spin off were the uh, nuclear power plants in Germany, but all others uh, assets uh, were were part of uh, were founded uh, as a new company, which included as well uh, all the gas business, uh, the pipeline business, gas trading, gas storage, and so on. Uh, so these are mainly the two big pillars: the generation of energy and uh, midstreamer commodity trading which is all CO2 heavy. Right. So, <laughs> obvious question, they were getting rid of it and you'd taken over and run a business. I mean, where, where, why would you do this? Why would you join this company? And also, what's, 
how do you see the future for this when everyone's trying to globally shut down? And I know, you know, I'm, I'm very fuel agnostic, so I do believe there's a, a role at present for fossil fuels, but it must be a gamble to run a company that other people are thinking this is not where the future is in, in fossil fuel. Well, it, probably it was a different uh, perspective or, or angle from where I was seeing that. As I took the decision to, to, assign, uh, to take that uh, assignment, uh, I was just looking at the energy industry in Germany and Europe and said, look, uh, Germany is getting rid of the nuclear assets. Uh, yeah. They want to shut down all the lignite and hard coal assets. Uh, that will form a gap in demand and uh, network or electricity security and supply of maybe 20 to 30 gigawatts over the time. The only way to plug that hole is with gas assets because you can build them rather fast. Uh, they are quite flexible. Um, you need to fill that hole somehow. And actually, Uniper is perfectly situated for that. They have a big experience with gas. They are the biggest trader. They have storages. They have pipelines. We have LNG ships. Uh, we are building Nord Stream 2. We are involved in Wilhelmshaven building an LNG terminal. We know uh, how to build gas uh, assets, definitely. We have the right locations in the network because if you shut down a coal asset, that's fine. But mm. if you want to stabilize the network, you have to build assets where the network is and not the other way around. So that's a perfect situation. And I see, uh, I see, and I saw a lot of value in Uniper with the capabilities uh, they are bringing to the table. I said, look, this is worth to, to try it. Uh, besides, that's a great team of people. But the potential, uh, the potential which lies in Uniper is, is actually huge. Let's take where you are now. So 2016, so it's four years ago. It, there is this thing in Europe, I suppose, where we all say we want to be carbon neutral. We all want to be renewable. Germany, the UK, doesn't matter where you are, every country is, is saying that. But there's a difference between that and the reality. And the reality in the UK is we still have a very significant amount of fossil fuel generation, mainly, to be honest, gas rather than coal. Germany still has lignite, although it's getting rid of it, as you say. Um, has fossil fuels, in a way, been... I wouldn't want to use the word Cinderella, but is it in a way ignored when it still plays a vital role across Europe in keeping the lights on? Well, I think there, there was a lot of uh, discussion about fossil fuel has it a future or not. I think it has to have a future because at the moment the renewables we have besides hydro, so if we just talk about wind and solar, is not enough uh, mm. to really keep the lights on. On the other hand, uh, if you talk about energy and fossil fuel, it's not only electricity. Actually, uh, Germany is importing 80% of their primary energy demand. Uh, and uh, only 25% of that is used for generation of electrical energy. So we, there's a whole picture is, is much, much broader if you really take it to a different level. It's not only electricity generation. And from a CO2 footprint of, of Germany, for instance, only 25% is coming from electrical utilities. 75% is coming from buildings, industry, mm. and transportation. Um, the utilities have reduced their CO2 footprint already by 35% since the 90s. Uh, the others are maybe lagging a little bit behind, and uh, we are doing our job. But it's, I think, too short uh, to think it's only electric, electrical energy generation which uh, plays a role there. Yeah. And here as well, I believe going from, from lignite and hard coal to gas is the right way to do that, because hydro we cannot expand in Europe as much as we want. Nuclear is out of discussion in Germany. 
And uh, to balance the network, we, we need we need gas units for that. And uh, to make sure that this is, will be a sustainable thing, I think we have to think what is coming after fossil gas. And hydrogen, I think, is a possible and a very elegant way out of that. Um, for instance, at Uniper, all our generation units can use hydrogen to a certain amount. So I think yeah. we're prepared for that. Would you say, I mean, we had an experiment here, which we think the new government until Corona hit was reinvesting in carbon capture and storage. I know it's been tried in other countries in Europe. Um, is there such a thing in your idea? Let's, we'll talk about gas in a minute, but is there such a thing as clean coal? Can we have enough technology to make coal clean? Because whatever, you, and you're right, and people don't want to hear it, but around the world, it's still a major driver of all economies. And whether it be Australia, India, China, you know, they're still all using coal. Uh, so does that exist in your mind, clean coal? Well, uh, actually, uh, I wouldn't think so. That's why we are getting rid of coal. It's, it's pretty hard to imagine that, that we find new technology uh, to, to make coal completely clean. Um, I think CCS is a possibility. It was tried, but I think that yeah. maybe we find, find a way for that. Uh, for us in Europe, I think this thing, clean coal, is not existing and the society has taken a different approach to that. Now we have to make the gas clean because there, there's no, no point in avoiding the question or the facts. Yeah. Uh, but I understand that uh, still there, even if we are shutting down coal assets in Europe, uh, I think the world is still building more than 1,200 coal assets worldwide. Absolutely. Uh, but that's the way it is. Uh, I think we yeah. should focus on what we need, what we can do. And I think, uh, I believe it's easier to focus on clean and green gas uh, than off coal. Okay, let's discuss that. So gas. Now, I mean, and many people have said that until we get to that renewable utopia we're all looking for, gas is the bridging fuel. And right now it's, it's being used everywhere. How important is gas in that respect, number one? And secondly, how do you make gas cleaner? Well, first of all, gas is first step already cleaner than coal or lignite. So the CO2 footprint uh, you achieve by burning uh, natural gas or fossil, fossil gas is already an improvement uh, compared to lignite or carbon yeah. coal, which definitely uh, plays a big role because I don't believe in miracles that you wake up one morning like Cinderella and the world is green and clean and everything has turned around. Absolutely. The engineering approach is doing it stepwise, one step after the other to that direction as long as this is possible. Uh, to find the best optimal solution. And uh, this solution is probably money fold. In one country, it's that one. In another country, it's that one. I think for us in Europe, it, it will be gas. Uh, but gas is, is, is basically, it's methane, it's CH4. Uh, and it has a CO2 footprint if you burn that. And uh, to make it greener, I think we have to find a way to get rid of the sea. Either we're putting more hydrogen in, and the hydrogen can come from renewable sources. Uh, wherever you can imagine that, from solar or wind, where you have an abundance to use it or to trade that. Or you can uh, split the methane into hydrogen and C, and as long as the CO2 is not leaving into the atmosphere, I think then it, this gas is, from my point of view, as well green. And you know all the color codes you're putting on hydrogen, the green one, the blue one, the white one, the turkey's one, right? Uh, except the gray one. All of them, for me, are okay as long as the carbon is captured and not released into the atmosphere. And then, of course, you can make the calculation if you have more hydrogen in, it's more CO2-free. 
what are you doing? What is Uniper doing to do this? What are you doing to clean up your gas assets? What are you doing to generate more clean gas, as you call it? Besides that we are shutting down Lignite and uh, that we have a coal exit, we are already uh, experimenting with hydrogen since years. So the first uh, hydrolysis uh, we have put into service and operations in 2012 to produce mm -hmm. hydrogen out of uh, surplus wind energy in Germany. We have started the first methanization asset in 2015 to build methane out of hydrogen because it's easier to transport and taking CO2 from the atmosphere. Uh, I believe that sector coupling will play a big role because generating hydrogen actually from electricity and then burn it again to generate electricity is not very efficient. No. So uh, you can put a little bit of percentage in that uh, just for starting. But I think using it for transportation for the chemical industry makes a lot of sense. And we are doing that as well already uh, since years. Uh, using it for transportation or storing hydrogen underground and taking it out for the chemical industry. And of course, as I said, all our, uh, our turbines are H2 ready. We, they can burn hydrogen in certain percentages, sometimes 100%, sometimes 50 sometimes 30 Of course, you have to build around that um, some other modifications as well. But there is a way forward to uh, convert most of our uh, gas assets into hydrogen assets if that is possible, needed, and if that is a business as well. We in the UK are on the pathway to net zero by 2050. It's a target from the government. Um, what is your ambition around net zero? And can a company like Uniper achieve net zero in the next 20 years, 30 years? Well, first, first, first of all, we have to say net zero is not CO2 free. I, which I is totally a big get it. Absolutely. And there's a misnomer about that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so for our for our business and Uniper, I think we have three different levels of ambition. For the European generation, we set a target: 2035, we will be CO2 neutral. We are switching oh. off our carbon assets, except Dutton. We are converting to gas, and we will and wherever we can. And then we have the task to reduce CO2 impact there as well. Either there is new technology with uh, carbon capture and uh, whatever. Maybe there's hydrogen available, uh, we will see. But if there is any difference in our CO2 budget, we will offset that. That makes us CO2 neutral, not CO2 free. I always compare that if you fly, buy a flight uh, from London to New York, you can offset that, but it doesn't mean that your flight will be CO2 free. Hopefully not because then you're sailing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for our international assets, it's a different story. We operate uh, power plants in Russia, which have signed the Paris Agreement. Uh, but if they find other ways, except in, uh, in the generation of energy, to offset their CO2 budget, then it's fine for us. We're playing by the rules there. We uh, invest quite a lot in modernization of old power units uh, into modern ones with less CO2. But of course, we have some lignite assets there which we cannot convert. And for the uh, commodity business, we are investing in, uh, into hydrogen and the production and the trading and the storage of, uh, <laughs> of, of that molecules. And we will see how far this goes. But this is a different budget anyway, because the CO2 is, is generated where you're using that, that gas we are trading. We are not really generating any CO2 footprint uh, in that process. What about embedded carbon? And I, I, I accept your point, and this is the thing about carbon neutrality. People don't think that that's the end of it. But there's, there's two elements of where I think the net zero pathway can work. And one is, obviously, there's a role in offsetting fine, put that aside. 
But the, the first is reducing your emissions, that your active emissions, taking that out. And the second is looking at what is embedded carbon. Um, are you looking at that, that element as well? You've mentioned there already about what, what you plan to do in terms of shutting down assets and capturing and re, re, reducing your footprint itself. But what about the embedded carbon that goes into your asset, that goes into the concrete, the steel, or whatever it is? What, are you going to start looking at that as well? I think we will look into that if we are building new. For the assets we have built already sometimes decades ago, this is a different question. There's not so much to do on concrete work. Uh, and of course, uh, I think this holistic uh, consideration, how much CO2 is really went into the whole setup around that, is, a, is, is not a new approach. The building industry, which I know very well, has done that already since a long time, using concrete for rebuilding things uh, to avoiding the CO2 footprint. So I think mm. there are a lot of measures around that to do that. On the other hand, we have to say electricity generation is really heavy on CO2 generation in the process, not so much in building the assets. You're building an yeah, asset absolutely. for 40 years, yeah. and the bigger impact is doing the operation of that. So I think focusing there is probably a, a clever thing and the right thing to do. Where do you see the future being then? So will Uniper exist in, as the company is in 20 years' time? Will it be a very different kind of company. I know I'm, I'm putting you into this thing, but if you look at where companies like you, there are many companies like you out there, which are, as you say, bridging us as we transform. Um, will there be a role for, and will we even have fossil fuels in 25, 20, 30 years? Well, first of all, uh, you know, how many companies existing today in the same way as they have existed 20 years ago? Probably yes, not. True. Yeah. Uh, transformation uh, is, is the essential role of every endeavor, every enterprise, every company. You have always to adapt to new circumstances, new customers, new things. You know, look at the car industry. There are no carriages drawn by horses anymore. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. Postal service, whatever. Change is the only constant thing in business. And deal with that is the task of the CEO and the team behind that to foresee that change, to find space for your company. Because you have to earn your right to exist actually every day, uh, every quarter, every year. And you have to prepare for the changes that are coming. Uh, will Unifer exist in 20 years as, of, uh, as we exist today? Definitely not. Is there a space for Unifer in 20 years? Definitely yes. We always will need energy. You yeah. always have to deal with these challenges. Without energy, society cannot exist. We all know that. And, uh, you know, I lived long enough in the United States near Chicago that I know what it means if you have a couple of days no power because a tornado swept through or a blizzard. And that yeah. can be very interesting. And yeah. um, we in, in, in UK or in Germany, we don't notice that because it's, it's always there and available. We need yeah. that. And there is a room for, for generator and trader of energy. And... We are not only generating uh, energy and trading energy, we are standing for securities of supply as well. All the assets, all the services you need to keep the lights on, uh, this is always a need. Maybe technology is changing, but uh, actually that's the exciting um, thing of being a CEO of a, of a successful innovative company. You always have to learn new things, you always have to pass away, and you always have to transform uh, your industry and enable the transformation for yourself and for your clients and stakeholders. And finally, do you think that we are, you know, we are really on this pathway now? You know, we've had so many decades of, of 
you know, sustainability, the Paris Agreement, you know, before that Kyoto Protocols. But actually, there seems to be, and perhaps COVID coming back to the end of this interview, coming back at the beginning, has shown that if we want to, we can react very quickly as, as a society globally. Do you think we are now, wherever we are in the world, on this pathway to try and, and, and get ourselves to some form of neutrality as soon as we can? I've seen that kind of development already once before Lehman and after. Before Lehman was the same strive for CO2, uh, mm. sustainability and so on. It has calmed down a little bit after Lehman, but then it was coming back. And, we, because it, uh, and why was it coming back? It was coming back because it has to be in the long run a solution which is cheaper for society and the businesses. Saving energy, being energy efficient, having less CO2 footprint has to be contributing to the bottom line. Otherwise, Absolutely. it will not survive. Yes, you need sometimes some investments uh, upfront, like for the solar and wind industry. You know, if you have now two, two cents per kilowatt hour in, in the solar industry in the Middle East, it shows what the technology can do. And there was some upfront investments, but now it is a business. And this is true for everything what we are doing. Uh, I think everybody believes that we have to take care about our planet, that we have to be sustainable. Uh, and everybody believes probably as well it has to be at the end the business as well. I know, and just I spending agree. money that will yeah. not work. Huh? That's why this will not go away. Yeah, our, our belief is always that there's got to be a, a, you know, a business case for these decisions. And I think that that is where the world has shifted to say you want to still fly, but you want to fly in a cleaner aeroplane. You want to drive, it'll be a cleaner car. And, and I suppose the end thought is do you believe the technology will make our lives continue to be cleaner without the sacrifice of denial, which I, I think none, none of us can really live with. And if you look back in history, you see that again and again and again. You know, if, if people complain or until a couple of years ago about uh, the steel plants in China, how they're looking, how much emissions they have. Look at the German pic, pic, uh, pictures of German steel plants in the 1880s or 90s. Of course. Exactly like uh, some Chinese steel plants. And now look today. Uh, we have cleaned up our steel plants, China's in the same process. You know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago, you couldn't swim in the River Rhine where our home offices are. Today, it's a clean river with fishes and you can swim there. So I think this is always coming if society is realizing what are the costs of, of, of doing things in the long run, and then you are changing. Andreas, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.